0: Praise the Lord. God bless all of you this morning. Amen. So good to see everyone in the house of God. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer as an opening to our service. I think it's appropriate. I think it's meet and right to call on the covenant name that He has given us, Jesus Christ, to call on that name in every situation, in our time of need, certainly. But also, when things are going awesome, we can call on that name and give Him thanks and praise and worship for the great things He's doing. Amen. Let's call on His name. He has an awesome plan for these services today. I can't pretend to know what everything is, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Amen. Amen. Let's call on Him today. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. We worship and we praise You. We laud and we magnify You. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High God. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity you've given us today to enter into the presence of God, the very throne room of the Almighty. Lord Jesus, we call on your name today. I pronounce a covenant blessing upon this congregation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that your hand would be upon us for good, that your presence would be in our midst. It is your desire to dwell in the midst of your people. Come, thou most high God, and dwell with us in this place today. Move freely, move wondrously and gloriously according to your perfect will and according to our desperate needs here today. Lord Jesus, that you would speak with your people and that your people, their hearts would be prepared, our hearts would be prepared to receive all that you have in store for us. The word of the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and your grace, your long suffering patience to us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your many benefits. You're great things upon us. Oh, hallelujah. We are overwhelmed with Your goodness today. We are overcome with the greatness of God in this place today. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship You. Jesus, we praise You. We laud and we magnify You. Only You are worthy to receive worship. Only You are worthy to receive praise. Thank You, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have in store. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. Our young adults class can be dismissed at this time. Amen. Reviewing last week, we talked about John the Baptist and his uh, his victories in ministry, his seeming defeats in ministry. Many of the difficulties we face in ministry, we learned, or even just living for God, arise from three foundational areas. We lack understanding of who God is. It's so important that we understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is, that He is victorious. That he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's not hanging on a cross anymore. He is alive and well. Praise God. And he is doing mighty things. Understanding of who we are, we've got to understand how God views his people. I know from our perspective it's really hard, and when heads down to sleep at night, the aches and pains and groans get a little bit worse year by year. And it's hard for us sometimes as we as we <laughs> move forward in this, this path we call life to understand the position that we hold in God's creation. The third thing that might stum- cause us to stumble is we lack understanding of what He has called us to do. Our purpose, our calling, our ministry. These are very powerful, educational things. And if we're lacking one of them, it will cause our spiritual walk to founder. It will cause us to stumble and fall. And and our, our halting advances toward the purpose of God is going to be frustrated because these things are not in place. When these three things are in place, we move forward consistently. We're used by God mightily. Amen. These are very important things for us to understand. We learned that John the Baptist had many ministerial advantages. He was Jesus' cousin. He was promoted by Jesus Himself. He had godly parents. All of these things he was prophesied in the Old Testament. He was announced by angels. I mean, these are pretty powerful things. But they didn't keep him from the ugly side of life and ministry. And we've got to understand that no matter what ministry it is that we're involved in, we see someone down the road, someone across the aisle from us, they're doing great things. They're doing wonderful things. And it seems like God's just a million miles away from us. Well, you don't know everything that's going on in that other person's life. You don't know what kind of struggles they're facing. They're probably putting on a good front just like you are. Just like all of us are. Praise the Lord, things are going great. Are they though? All the time? Probably not. No. I mean, again, can we be honest in church? Things aren't always going. We are always blessed. We can always experience the peace of God and the joy of God. But I wouldn't say that everything is, if I had a choice, I'd probably choose something different every once in a while. We don't know what other people are going through. John started out very popular, but his popularity declined as Jesus became more and more popular. And that could be a source of frustration for some people. A source of maybe even embarrassment. John, though, he understood that his mission was to pave the way for the Messiah, not to become one. John knew exactly what his mission was and what his mission was not. I think that's important for us to understand as well that we are most certainly responsible for, and there are other things that we are most certainly not responsible for. Understanding which one is which will go a long way. John knew that success is measured by faithful obedience to the will of God, not bodies, bucks and buildings. That's how we measure success, because that's how God measures success. We're not going to stand before God at the judgment day and uh he's not going to ask us how many people did you win to the Lord? He's not going to ask uh how many how many how many campuses did you open up? He's going to ask did you do what I told you to do? Were you faithful in the things that I gave you to do? That's success. Our mission, like John's, is to point people to Jesus Christ. Our daily devotions. The daily devotions open with this. I took this right from the book. It might be appropriate to say John downplayed his ministry, but it would be more appropriate to say that John exalted Christ's ministry. John was not self-degrading. He was Christ-uplifting. When Christ is uplifted, humanity is not downgraded, but rather put back into its proper perspective. I think this is important for us to understand because again, we can get to places in our lives, particularly in the midst of test or trial, where we start to think of ourselves as less than God thinks of us. We start experiencing all of these temptations, all of these things are coming against us, and are like, what's wrong with me? Why is all of this coming to me? Why am I struggling in this area? Why am I struggling with this? What's wrong with me? And we start thinking of ourselves as less than we are. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. He doesn't want you to know or to realize who you really are. Jesus sees us not as servants, but as friends. He calls us sons and daughters. Amen. We, There's a scripture we talked about a little bit bit ago. Don't you know that you're going to judge angels? Angels are going to bring their cases to you for your judgment. Do you realize who you are? Who you were created to be? You're not paupers. You're not beggars. You're not not begging for scraps off of the Master's table. You're called to sit at the Master's table as sons, as daughters. Don't think of yourselves as any less than that. The enemy would love for you to. The enemy does not want you to realize these things. Because then you're going to start living as if those things are true. Either way you believe, you're going to start living as if those things are true. Living down in the muck and the mire, or living in an exalted place with Jesus Christ. The more we focus on Christ, the less we're going to worry about ourselves and anything else. Day one. the story We heard the story of wrong way Douglas Corrigan. How that a compass malfunction in his aircraft had him completely turned around. I don't know if I 100% buy that either because there was a lot of water down there that he had had to flo- flew over. This that was water flying across the country. Anyway, Maybe he didn't see it. In any case, (laughs) the story illustrates how important it is for know for certain which way we're going. And how we are to know for certain which way we are going is to read the compass. Our Bible. The Scriptures. If our compass is anything else, you will not consistently go the right way. No other compass works like Scripture does. Day two. Story of a lost flock of sheep following a woman. Folks, lost people are looking for someone to follow. And at the expense, at the at the risk of using up too much time here, I am seeing all kinds of stuff on YouTube. I, I look at a lot of apologetic uh, YouTube channels and and different Bible channels and stuff like that. And there is a there's there's a movement going on in our world today. Uh, People who were atheists are converting to Christianity simply because they're trying out atheism. See, what's going on is there's this thing called the New Atheists. as promoted by people like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. I don't know if those names are familiar to you or not, but uh, they're big names in this New Atheism. And their their strategy primarily is to uh, just keep repeating the same line uh, and bash Christianity. Tell people how stupid Christianity is. And, you know, when when your are is that way anyway, it works for a lot of people. But, when they start living this new atheism, people are finding out in droves, hey, this doesn't work. This is broke. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. And so, their natural instinct then is to check out what they've been bashing. Christianity. Well, if this is a false bill of goods. Maybe they're selling me a false bill of goods over here too. And they try Christianity and they realize, hey, this works. This is actually what I was looking for. And so there's one book out. I, I need to get it and put it in line with all the other books I'm <laughs> trying to read. But uh, it's uh, 15, 15 different testimonies of, of people who have read uh, Richard Dawkins' books. And inadvertently, those books of his, those atheist books of his, converted them to Christianity. And I can't think of a sweeter thing than that. That is just so cool. (laughs) I love that. Anyway, so, lost people are looking for something. When we were in the world, if you didn't grow up in this, we were looking for something. That's why we're here today. They're looking for someone or something to follow, something bigger than themselves, something real, something that can take care of the the questions and the situations that they're facing, something that works. We have it, folks. We're the only ones that have it. God, give us the opportunity to lead them home. Amen. Day three, when everyone started following Jesus, John's ministry was successful, not failing. That was a success for John. That was John's purpose to start with, is to get people to follow the Messiah, the one who is to come after me, whose shoes, latchets I'm not worthy to unloose. Ministry done is Christ and minimizes pride, self. Amen. Any ministry worth its salt should be pointing people to Jesus Christ, not themselves. Day four, the account of trying to come up with the title of chief executive of the United States. If you read that historical account more in depth, it's it's pretty fascinating. The debates that they had on on not only this, but other things. And, uh, yeah, I, I find that stuff fascinating. I finally came up with president of the United States. How we refer to Jesus matters. We've touched on this before. He's not J.C. He's not... The man upstairs, he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's He's God incarnate. How we refer to Jesus matters. It ought to be reverently and respectfully. His name is used all across the world, but not reverently, not respectfully. It's drugged through the mud. It's used as a curse word. How we refer to our spiritual leaders matters also. All of us are under authority, I hope. We all need to be under authority. And how we view those, those men and women who are in authority over us, mothers, uh, teachers, government officials, pastors, uh, ministry leaders, whoever it might be. Do our words reflect respect and honor, or do we view them only as peers? And following John's and Jesus' example, as leaders, on the the flip side of the coin, we shouldn't be craving titles and accolades, but with humility, minister to those God has given in our charge. Amen. As a subordinate, I need to respect those in authority over me. As one in authority, I need to uh, esteem other better than myself, and respect and reverence them, and minister to them. Because at the end of the day, in God's presence, we all stand at the same height. There are no big eyes and little U's. The only big person here is Jesus Christ. Amen. Day five, our faith is only as good as what we place it in. I can have great unwavering faith in Buddha, but what's that going to do for me? Not a whole lot. Faith in itself is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. What matters is who that faith is placed in. When my faith is placed in Jesus Christ, now it's powerful. Now it's miraculous. Praise God. The emphasis is not on the strength of our faith per se, but on the strength of the one in whom we believe. Amen. Our scripture text for today, getting into our today's lesson, is found in the book of John chapter 4. Today we're going to be speaking on living water. Living water. John chapter 4, verses 7 through 19. And then we're going to skip a few verses and go to John 4, verses 24 through 30. John 4, beginning with verse 7, states this, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, "...thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Coming to verse 24. God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. And upon this came His disciples, and marveled that He talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or... Why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Amen. In 1887, a company drilling for oil along the banks of the Mississippi River near Legrand's, Missouri, made an unexpected discovery. At 400 feet below the surface of the earth, they struck water. At 800 feet, the flow of water became much stronger. Finally, at 850 feet below the surface of the earth, the water pressure was so strong that the drilling team could not proceed further. A 1907 government-sponsored geological survey registered the flow at 60 gallons per minute and noted that, quote, no perceptible change has ever been noticed in either its volume or force, unquote. The drillers were disappointed by this development because they were hoping to secure a fuel source for a local steel mill. Water certainly wouldn't serve that purpose. But when the water was analyzed, a geologist found that it contained potassium, calcium, magnesium, alumina, and sodium. The liquid spurting from the ground was mineral water, which was prized in the late 19th century for its medicinal benefits. An enterprising local businessman named C.N. Thomas, soon capitalized on the find, Thomas began bottling the water from the LaGrange Artisan well and selling it all over the United States. A local historian notes that Thomas marketed the mineral water as the cure for everything from diabetes to stomach disorders. Despite the grossly exaggerated nature of these claims, sales were brisk, with the local water department bottling 50 to 90,000 gallons per day for shipment to Chicago. Today, more than 135 years after the well's initial discovery, Its water continues to flow. Even occasional floods from the nearby Mississippi River have been unable to destroy the well. Other mineral wells in the area have long since dried up, but local residents can still enjoy a drink from the LaGrange Artisan Well. A well that never runs dry and is purported to bring life and healing to all who drink? That sounds like something John described in Revelation 21.6, where Jesus promised to give give unto them that is the thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. The good news is that the water Jesus offered is available to everyone regardless of where you reside. Amen. So we see in John chapter 3 an encounter between the Pharisee Nicodemus and Jesus. We spoke about that in an earlier lesson. We're going to try to make a comparison of sorts between Nicodemus and this Samaritan woman. If anyone should have known who the Messiah would be, It should have been the learned spiritual elite, right? It should have been the Pharisees, the the spiritual rulers of Israel, the rabbis, the ones who had formal study, formal learning in the Scriptures. They knew the prophecies. They knew what the Old Testament said about Messiah. They should have known. But as this encounter ends between Nicodemus and Jesus... We see no indication that Nicodemus was any closer to recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, let alone acknowledging Him as being that Messiah. John 1 and 11 says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. When military personnel volunteer for a special operations uh, group? Someone on a boat. Volunteers to try out for the SEALs. Someone in the Army volunteers to try out for the Green Berets or, or Delta Force. There is a selection process that ensues. Not just anyone can, can join. You've got to be selected. You can volunteer, but most volunteers don't make it. Typically, you would think that in a program such as this, It would be the tall, strong, muscular guy that would sail right through. Because it's a physical process. Initially, anyway, they just dog you and dog you and dog you until people start giving up. And that's what they want. Who's not going to give up? Who's not going to quit? And so people start dropping out. Statistically, The first people that end up dropping out are the big, strong, burly guys. Why is that? Typically, those big, strong, burly guys have no endurance. They got muscular endurance. They can probably do push-ups all day long. But to get them to run from here to there, (laughs) they got 260 pounds of muscle to, to carry there and back. It's the scrawny guys. It's the smaller guys that typically make it through. The people that you would least expect to be able to make it are the ones that consistently make it the most. And we see exactly that in this comparison today. The people that should have recognized Jesus as their Messiah did not. The people that we would expect to have the least amount of knowledge as to who Messiah was going to be. They're the ones that recognized Him. Matthew 20 and 16 says, So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. The ones who seem most suited for faith fail to believe, while outsiders find their way into the kingdom. The Samaritan woman was no different. We'll see that as we move through the lesson today. Jesus was traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. It was about a three-day journey for him. I had to go to Madison uh, on Friday. I was thinking about that. I'm going 70 miles an hour. 100, 150 years ago, people were going 10 to 15 miles a day. Wow, that's quite the difference. Because of their intense hatred for the Samaritans, many devout Jews refused to travel through this region. Jesus, however, was unmoved by local prejudice. He didn't hesitate to travel straight through the heart of Samaria. At about the sixth hour, or around noon, when the sun was at its peak, Jesus met a woman of Samaria at a well of water. Now, the first question most of us probably ask or have asked is, noon is the heat of the day. That's where the sun is at the highest. Why would this woman be drawing water at noon? The answer is fairly obvious. As we read through the story, uh, she didn't want to talk to anybody. No one else would be out there drawing water at noon. That's why she was out there. She didn't have to hear the jibes and the jeers and the, the snickers, perhaps, the comments. She was an outcast, even in her own community. And so when this Jew, this male Jew, comes up and starts talking to her, she was flabbergasted. She didn't know what to make of it. She couldn't comprehend someone who didn't see the world through the lens of religious and cultural bias. Like all the other people did. The Jews hate the Samaritans. Her response was this in John 4 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. It was shocking enough for a Jew to be addressing a Samaritan But a a male addressing a woman Samaritan on top of it? That was almost too much to, to comprehend. People are still confounded by those who refuse to reflect the biases of the wider world. When we read about Azusa Street, other early Pentecostal revivals, we see woven throughout the, the the annals and the chronicles of those different revivals racial and cultural diversity in the midst of very overt cultural and racial bigotry. Frank Bartleman famously noted he was in the Azusa Street revivals he said this quote the color line was washed away in the blood. Amen. Back at the turn of the 20th century, many people couldn't comprehend Christians who were drawn together by a thirst for living water and not divided by deeply ingrained societal prejudices. They couldn't get it. They couldn't understand. Why are you hanging out with that black guy? Because he's my brother. That's why. Folks, the Bible doesn't teach any racial prejudice... You don't Do you realize how stupid it is to base your opinion of someone on the amount of pigmentation in their skin? I mean, how ridiculous is that? And since we're on this anyway, do you realize where that where the there is a scientific basis for people's prejudice and racial bigotry? Do you know where that comes from? Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin is where that comes from. And I don't know how many people, oh man, he's great. He's awesome. He he said this and that. Yeah, do you know what else he said? He said you're less evolved than I am. That's what he said. And it wasn't inferred, folks. It's right there in black and white. They are less evolved than the whites. So now people had a scientific basis for it. I'm just following the science. Science is is writing something in a, on a page? That's science? Where Where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Where's the, the experimentation? Anyway, it's, it's ridiculous, folks. It's ridiculous. It's so stupid. I don't know what else to call it. It's dumb. It's ridiculous. It's... Thank God that we see in Scripture that that's not the case. That we are of one blood, all nations of men. We all have the same Father. We all came from the same two people. All of us. Noah and his wife. Every one of us is traced back to them. Black, white, brown, red, yellow, doesn't matter. We're all traced back to that. Acts 10, we see God having to deal with some of Peter's prejudices against the, against the Gentiles. I, I don't touch unclean things, Jesus God had to tell him three times. What I have called clean. Don't you call unclean. So finally, Peter gets up the, the courage, the strength, the resolve to, to go inside of a Gentile's house. Jesus did that all the time. Missionaries today, honoring native cultures, but bringing them into the kingdom of God. Amen. There's only one race. The human race. I grew up in a a household that was prejudiced. I am not prejudiced today. Praise God. Other people have grown up with prejudice. Other and it's not just racial prejudice. It could be religious prejudice, cultural prejudice. It could be anything. I'm just focusing on the, the low hanging fruit. But it could be anything. God seems to desire diversity. Look at his creation. Can you imagine how dull and bland this world would be if every flower was red? If every tree looked the same? One kind of animal out there? All of us had the same face? God desires diversity, He wants a multitude of things out there, differences. He loves that. God created some of us white and some of us black and some of us olive. He created some of us with hair and he's blessed some of us without. Amen. My favorite is still some heads he created perfect, the rest he put hair on. <laughs> uh. I'm just going to go with that because that sounds sounds right. (laughs) Uh. In today's race-baiting, politically and culturally divided world, a world trapped in a perpetual cycle of fear and hatred, Jesus offers us a message of universal salvation. Salvation for everyone. When He hung on the cross, He died for all of us. Black, white, brown, yellow, everybody. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise that some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus created everyone, and He died for everyone. Through His church, Christ is still traveling into the Samarias of the world to reach those who have been overlooked or ostracized. He has adopted us into a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural organization called His church. And there are people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all races, creeds, all cultures, all everything. We're all in this and we're all in it together. We're all moving toward the same goal. We all have the same purpose. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. And Acts 17:26 says, And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. Amen. So this idea of cultural or racial bias, bigotry, prejudice, is ludicrous. It's ridiculous. There is no basis for it other than everyone else is trying to force us into it. Jesus responded to the woman's astonishment with a promise that still stands. John 4.10 says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Living water in this case is a metaphor for salvation through the power of the Spirit, and it's available to anyone who sincerely asks anyone. Ephesians 2:8 says, "For by grace ye are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is the free gift of God. You can't earn it, you can't work for it, you can't make yourself worthy of it. It's a gift. That we receive by asking. This particular woman didn't understand the promise Jesus gave to her because she didn't know who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink. Again, the importance of knowing who Jesus is. When we understand the character of Jesus, we're going to have an easier time understanding His promises. We're going to have an easier time believing His promises and trusting in them. But she was spiritually thirsty, and that thirst caused her to ask an important question. John 4.11 says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Jesus told her in John 4.14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman must have sensed something about Jesus, must have understood something intuitively based on what she said next. She didn't laugh. She didn't snicker. She didn't try to explain away. She said this, Sir, Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now I'm noticing that last part. Neither come hither to draw. And I'm speculating here, but I think she included that for a reason. Why was she out here at noon again? she didn't want to talk to people. She didn't want to be out here in the first place. If I have this water where I'll never thirst, I won't have to come out here and suffer the jibes and suffer the jeers and suffer the comments again. And Jesus touches on that. John 4.16 says, Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman responds, I have no husband. Jesus says, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Now, some points to make about this. First, it takes two to tango, doesn't it? There are men that are equally as guilty in this, in this account as the woman. Her sin was not any greater or any lesser than any other sin in the sight of God. And again, we have difficulty with this concept. The white lie is just as bad in the sight of God as, as a mass murder. How could that even be possible? Well, see, we don't understand some things. We don't understand the perfection and the holiness of God. Are you perfect or aren't you? That's what Jesus is asking. Do you measure up to my standard or don't you? If you're guilty in any point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. There are no degrees of sin with God. No misdemeanors and no felonies with God. It's all the same. And when Jesus points this out to the woman, or to us, Or to anyone else. It's not to condemn her. It's not to judge her. But to heal. To restore. To lead her to a place of repentance. If I have an infected wound... I can't just put a bandage on it and call it good. I can't see it. You can't see it. So we're good. You know, that wound is still festering, isn't it? It's still going to get gangrene and rot my arm off. i got to get in there and scrub. i got to scrape all the infection out. And that's fun, isn't it? Everyone looks forward to that. No, that hurts. It's painful. It's hard. But it's got to be done. It's got to be done, folks. There are things in our life. When I came to the Lord, there are all kinds of things I brought. Big bags full of stuff. Just like you did. And I'm still unpacking some of that stuff. And so are you. But it's got to be unpacked. It's got to be worked through. It's got to be cleaned out. For me to move forward in God. And it's hard work. It's not easy. Don't think it don't think I'm standing up here saying, yeah, you just take care of that. One, two, three, bam, 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 we're done. Yay. Uh-uh. It's gonna take some of us a long time and a lot of work to do this. But it's got to be done. Because I promise you folks, you just sub that down, you put a band-aid over it, it's gonna pop up. It's going to pop up worse and worse and worse. Take care of it now. There was a nonsensical saying that I, I used to say a lot. If you got to eat an elephant, eat it when it's small. Kind of. I don't know when they're ever small. But uh, the point being, of course, take care of problems when they're tiny. Don't let them build and escalate and then have to take care of them when they've exploded all over the place. For the woman could experience this living water, she would first have to repent of her past efforts to satisfy her spiritual thirst by drinking polluted water out of broken cisterns. Jeremiah 2.13 says this, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. As an aside, was Jesus identifying with the God of the Old Testament here? I think He was. I think He is. The woman was floored that Jesus knew everything about her. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Okay. Again, let's contrast the Samaritan woman's response to Jesus' words with the absence of spiritual awareness demonstrated in John chapter 3 from the mouth of Nicodemus. Whereas Nicodemus, the learned scholar, all he could muster was to acknowledge that Jesus was a teacher sent from God. Woman had no formal learning. I don't know what kind of teaching she got as a Samaritan, but her hunger and her perception more than compensated for any lack of spiritual pedigree or learning because she arrived at the truth. Not quite there yet. I perceive that thou art a prophet. Not quite there yet, but she's already doing better than the formerly educated ruler in Israel. Hebrews 4.13 says this, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Jesus sees and He knows everything about you and about me. We're not hiding anything from Him. So when He presents something to us, understand that He knows the answer already. He knows what you thought. He knows the condition of your heart. He knows what you said. He knows what you did. So just confess it to him. He's not seeking something against you. He wants to restore you, he wants to bring you back into a covenant relationship with him. That's his purpose, folks. Until this dispensation is closed out and the door remains open, that's his purpose is to seek and to save that which was lost. God brings up our sin in our own lives so that we can be cleansed, healed, restored. John 4, 28 and 29 says this, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Ah, oh, there she goes. She got it. She got it. Rather than run from Jesus in shame and disgrace, rather than run from the people that she's been running from for who knows how long, she ran right to him. She ran away from Jesus excited. You gotta come you gotta come hear this guy. You gotta come see him. She got from man to prophet to messiah. Boom, boom, boom. Just like that. This social outcast that only felt comfortable drawing water where no one else would be around, ran to tell everyone about her encounter with Jesus. Amen. This wasn't a friendly crowd, folks. There were no friendly faces out there for her. But she ran to them anyway. And gave them her testimony. This is what Jesus did for me. How powerful is the testimony, folks. The residents of Sychar must have been just as thirsty for living water as the woman at the well. John 4.30 says, Then they went out of the city and came unto Him. Again, folks, this is around noontime. Middle of the day. People have got things to do. They're busy. they got jobs. Blacksmiths got to make horseshoes. People out in the out in the farms doing whatever it is they did. <clears throat> I know what people do on farms today. They filter oil, they bang out nails. <laughs> I worked for a farmer for a while. People were busy. they had responsibilities to take care of, and yet. They came out to see this guy. John 4, 39-42 says this, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ. The Savior of the world. Their lives were transformed. Initially, first and foremost, because of the testimony of this one woman. Later, because they heard Jesus for themselves. And isn't that the exact pattern we are called to emulate? Giving someone our testimony. This is what Jesus did for me. They want to hear more. So we lead them to Jesus. And they hear the words of Jesus themselves. And they believe on him. This is a very simple and very powerful technique, sharing our testimony with someone else. And, folks, you can do this from day one. How long had the Samaritan woman been living for Jesus? How long has she been in church before she started sharing her testimony? Like three seconds. You don't need to know Acts 2.38. You don't need to know about Daniel's 70th week. You don't need to know about what what the the great dragon is in Revelation. You don't need to know any of that. Learn it eventually. Get there, yeah. But starting today, I can explain to people what Jesus has done in my life. And when they have questions, like the, the, the blind beggar, I don't know about any of that, but this is what I do know. I was blind and now I see. That's what I do know. I can tell you what Jesus did for me. I don't know about any of that. I could bring you to some people that might. But this is what I do know. I was lost. and Now I'm found. I was suicidal. Now I'm in my right mind. I was an alcoholic. Now I'm delivered. Whatever it might be. That's what Jesus did. And He can do the same for you. Praise God. In conclusion, how do you know if someone has run a marathon? The answer is, don't worry, they'll tell you. (laughs) This old joke alludes to the fact that most of us love to talk about our interests and accomplishments with anyone who will listen. If you have noticed automobile window decals bearing the numbers 13.1 or 26.2, You can be sure the person who owns that vehicle is passionate about running and wants the world to know. It's not just runners who like to show off, though. The rear window of an automobile seems to be a good place to brag about your family's honor student, the national parks you've you've visited, or any other accomplishment that can be commemorated with a decal. When something good or noteworthy happens in our lives, we usually feel an overwhelming urge to share it with others. You may know someone who is newly engaged to be married. The couple probably made it a point to share that news on social media. You don't have to ask. They're looking for an opportunity to inject their good news into every conversation. They want the world to know they are in love. Considering this, it is an interesting thing how silent some Christians are about their faith. It's almost as if we don't really consider the good news of the gospel to be good news at all. Some Christians treat their faith like an embarrassing family secret. Only those who are closest to us have any inkling that we profess the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was a devout Pharisee who was headed for Damascus for the purpose of wiping out the Christians in that city when he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus. From that point forward, he made it his mission to share the good news of the transforming power of the gospel with everyone he met. Paul told King Agrippa that when Jesus first spoke to him outside Damascus, the Lord pledged to make him, quote, a minister and a witness, unquote. Paul spent the rest of his life fulfilling that calling. And what about us? Are we guarding our faith like it's a state secret? Or are we following the example of Paul and the Samaritan woman and urging everyone we know to come, see a man? We have good news, so let's share it with everyone we know. Amen. Let's all stand. And concerning sharing our faith with others, it doesn't have to be awkward and it doesn't have to be scary. It can be very natural. It can be... You guys know I'm introverted. I have a tough time just walking up and talking with people I don't know. Very tough time. But when I'm in a conversation naturally, it always comes up. Somehow, it comes up. And that's... That's easy, even for me. You don't have to force it. You don't have to, you can if you want, but you don't have to stand on a street corner with a Bible in your hand and preach Jesus. But just one-on-one. We talk with people all the time. Every day. We can share our faith, what Jesus has done for us. Amen. It's easy, and it's the right thing to do. Because, folks, I don't know where I would be if someone didn't share this with me. I didn't know this. I wasn't raised this way. Someone shared it with me, inadvertently, but they were sharing it with someone else, and I kind of overheard. But uh, I got it anyway. I was the Samaritan woman. He was the Pharisee. (laughs) He never got it. (laughs) But I did. Praise God. Amen. God wants to save people. He wants to do it through you and through me. Thank God. Thank God for a Savior. Lord Jesus, we worship You. We're so thankful for You For the words that you've spoken unto us today, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that as our service continues, you would continue to move freely, minister according to each need, do wondrously and gloriously in this place according to your perfect will. All these things we ask in Jesus' name.